The title of tonight's message is How to Fulfill Your Ministry. We are going to be going through the funnel diagram, which is the greatest ministry diagram that you'll ever see. I'm saying that quite bluntly, but I believe it's true. We're going to go into it in detail tonight. But each of you have been called to a ministry. In 2 Timothy 4 5, Paul tells Timothy to fulfill his ministry. And just like Paul told Timothy to fulfill his ministry, each of you have a ministry that God's given you. In fact, when you became a believer, you inherited, as God's son, a purpose to fulfill his great commission, which we have called the third greatest commission. God said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second greatest command. Love God first and foremost with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first greatest commandment. And then he said, all authority has been given to me, so go and make disciples. I think we can say that's the third greatest commandment. But you've all been called to that, right? Until every nation is reached and disciples are made across the entire globe, that command is going to be ongoing. And each one of us as followers of Christ are called to be committed to fulfilling his great commission. None of us are exempt from this. So if you pay attention tonight you're going to walk away with some tools that enable you to do the great commission that Christ has commanded you to for the rest of your life. You don't have to just be one of the quote-unquote old guys here. You quote-unquote old guys, and I'm approaching that as we got so many young college guys coming up, but you old guys have lived enough life to realize that there are a few things that really matter in life, right? And there are a whole lot of things that don't matter in life. A lot of times people chase the things that don't matter in life. Russ has called those the five C's, cash, cars, careers, condos, and cuties. Students have demanded that a sixth C, computers, get added to that, maybe cell phones. But regardless, chasing those things no longer matters. It doesn't satisfy. You old guys have come to realize that, and many of you are thinking, I really want to make a difference while I still can. Because the day is not far away when we won't be able to make that difference any longer. You young guys, right? You guys have your entire lives ahead of you. I love discipling guys like Fletch and the Cub, thinking Fletch is going to be making a difference for Christ long after I'm dead. (laughs) That's so satisfying to me to know that, that what I invest in Fletch's life is going to keep multiplying, right? And hopefully he invests it in the next guy. And hopefully next fall, Dylan is investing in some freshman guys. I mean, this keeps on going. And Josh, last time we talked on campus, he's feeling this incredible call on his life to to serve God in big ways. This is wonderful. You have your whole lives ahead of you. So pay attention tonight. If you do these things, I promise you can do them anywhere, anytime, and they're always going to work. You will always be able to accomplish the Great Commission doing these things. Now, you really young guys, there are a couple of you. Elijah, are you the youngest guy here? No? You're close, right? Who's the youngest guy here? Randy? How old are you, Randy? Eight. Eight. All right. I almost brought Micah. He's only about 15 months, so he would have been really (laughs) the youngest guy. But Russ says I can't bring him until he's like five. (laughs) But anyway, even you young guys, you really young guys, pay attention. You guys can make a difference for Christ at your age. At 8 years old, you can make a difference for Christ. At 9, at 10, even younger, you guys can make a difference for Christ. The biggest decisions I ever made in my life after trusting Christ for my salvation at age 5 included 
at age 11 deciding that I would be in full-time ministry for sure. Things like that. At age 11, I had a, a professor challenge me on the issue of porn, saying never get into porn. At age 11, I made this life decision. I will never look at porn. I thank God that professor challenged me at that age. But I look back and I think my entire life is different because of decisions I made when I was 11 or 5 or 8. So you guys can make big decisions now, but it doesn't end just there. You can influence people around you for Christ even right now. My wife led a friend of hers to Christ when she was 8, I believe. And I still have the Bible in our house that she gave to her friend. You guys remember seeing this? She wrote a very sweet note to the girl that she led to Christ. It said, read this or you'll go to hell. (laughs) But anyway, we still have the Bible. It's kind of cute. But maybe she didn't have a lot of tact at that age, but she got to lead a friend to Christ at that age. You guys can make a difference. All of you guys in here. So what I want you to catch is what we're going to share tonight is meaningful and it's significant. And I hope all of you are caffeinated and ready to pay attention so you don't miss anything. Because if you get this stuff, you're going to experience a life of joy instead of regret. You're going to experience a life of integrity instead of failure. You're going to experience the abundant life that Christ promised rather than the stealing, killing, and destroying that he said the enemy is trying to do in your life. You're going to experience meaning and significance rather than nothing. You're going to experience the reality of leaving a legacy to those that come and stand on your shoulders. Not a legacy of how good you are, but a legacy of what God did through you. I I can't wait for the day when my kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids can look at my life and say, our great-great-grandfather really loved Jesus. Like Gordy said, on my tombstone, I want that he really loved Jesus, right? I want to leave that legacy. And I hope that even long after I'm gone, they'll be following it. You guys can do that if you follow what we're going to talk about tonight. If you do what we're going to talk about tonight, you will lay up treasure in heaven, bearing fruit that will last, like we learned about in John 15 this morning. If you don't do these things, you won't experience that. You'll experience the fruit of your own efforts, which Doug reminded us last night is no good, right? If you do this, guys, you'll be joining a battle that is raging worldwide. Since I started talking, somebody's been martyred for their faith in Christ. By the time I'm done, probably another nine or ten will be. There's a battle going on all across this globe. And we can sit passively on the sidelines, or we can get in the fight where God has put us to make a difference. If you put into practice what we learned tonight, you will be choosing to get in the fight. You'll be choosing to be a part of what God is doing right here, right now. Instead of watching this country go down the tubes, you'll be doing something to change the hearts of the next generation that will be able to change this country for good. It's vitally important that we get into what I'm talking about tonight and that we learn this stuff. So I'm going to share three acronyms with you tonight as we share. I love acronyms. And everybody laughs. You can get it out. Laugh. Laugh. (laughs) Oh, another acronym. Oh, good job. Okay. Now the laughs are done, but these are going to help you remember things. Okay. 
And I love it because even if you don't get it all, you'll remember a few things from the Word. Enough to help you do more than if you didn't remember anything. I don't want this to be the kind of talk where you walk away and go, I don't even remember what we talked about. At least you'll remember a few things, right? There's one acronym that I'm really going to focus on tonight, though, and that's the Funnel Diagram acronym, and it will really be significant. So as we get started, knowing the significance of this talk, we're going to look at 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8. Because in this passage, and you can turn there with me, Paul is challenging Timothy, who he has discipled, who he is sending off one last time before he's gone. Just like Jesus gave his disciples the Great Commission before he left to be with the Father, Paul is giving Timothy some last words before he was to be executed. And in this passage, we see some of the vital components of fulfilling the Great Commission that God has for us. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. Paul says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will endure, will, that they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. Sounds like our society today, right? But you be sober in all things, and dear hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Hence the title of this talk, How to Fulfill Your Ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come, Paul says. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So there, here Paul is challenging Timothy with a few key things, and I'm going to break them down into three, and we're going to focus in this talk on, like I said, this ministry funnel diagram that will tell you how to fulfill your ministry. But the three main things that I want you to take away from this are, one, God has empowered you, okay? We've talked about that a little bit this week. I just briefly want to review it. Two, God has equipped you. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness, we're told in 2 Peter 1.3. So you have everything you need. And the funnel diagram that we'll discuss tonight comes straight from Scripture. Every part of it. It's just put into an easy-to-remember formula that you can carry out in your daily life. So God has empowered you, God has equipped you, and here's the third one. God will eternally reward you. It's easy to just get focused on what's happening in this life. But I don't want you to forget, just like Paul told Timothy, the end of the race is near, the end of the fight is near, and there's a reward that will be laid up for you in heaven based on how you fought this fight, how you ran this race here on earth. So run it well. Run it well. We're going to close also with some application that will drive this home in a very real way. All right, so God has empowered you. Verse 1 that we just read, Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, 
who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. And as I speak to you tonight, God the Father, his Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ are involved in all that he's calling you to do. Right? God is in our presence right now as we're gathered here. He desires that as you abide in him, like Gordy shared this morning, you would become fruitful. In fact, Jesus said, if you're not abiding in him, you'll do nothing because you can do nothing apart from him. So the takeaway is since he is here with you, you've been empowered to do his will. Now, we haven't shared the power acronym yet, so I'm going to do it. This is very simple. If you're taking notes, just write it and come back to it. If you get the workbook, you can get it in the workbook as well. But I hope you'll remember this, because here is a short way to remember how you can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in ministry. P, Scripture tells us that we should present ourselves to God, surrendering to Him. God isn't going to empower you to do your deal. <laughs> we come to Him, surrender saying, I'm ready to obey your will. My will is behind me, and I'm focusing on your will. Okay, O, own up to your sin, confessing it to him. Right? Each one of us are so selfish, so sinful, so separated from all that God wants us to be doing in our own minds, in our thinking, in our actions, in our desires. And when I'm full of my own sin... It's impossible to be full of his power. He might work through me in spite of myself, and he does this often, but if I want to really experience his power, it's vitally important that I own up to my sin and confess it to him. And he says in 1 John 1, 9 that when I do that, he cleanses me of all unrighteousness and forgives me. Clearing out this weak vessel to be used powerfully by a mighty God. W, want to live a Christ-like life. If I don't want to do his will, if I don't want him to work through me, he probably won't. If I say I really don't want to share my faith, but God empower me to do it, but I really don't want to, I don't think you're going to have many opportunities. Now that's very different than saying I'm scared to, but I really want you to use me. He'll use you in a heartbeat if that's your attitude. So there's an attitude thing here. I've surrendered my will to him. I've confessed my sin to him. And now I really want him to come through in my life. I really want him to do what only he can do in my life. Now E, this is critical that you get E. Experience his filling in power, claiming it by faith alone. Experience his filling in power, Claiming it by faith alone. I've surrendered to him. I've confessed all known sin to him. I really want him to work in my life. Now I simply claim his power by faith alone, asking him in prayer to empower me to do what only he can do. He tells me in 1 John 5 that if I come to him, he's going to answer me in prayer, right? I know that he'll answer me as I step out in his will. Now, R, the final letter in the power acronym. Rely on Him. So, you've presented yourself to Him, surrendering to Him, you've confessed your sin, owning up to it, you've 
wanted to live the Christ-like life he's called you to, you've chosen to ask him to fill you with his spirit and to empower you and you're believing that he will by faith alone, now you have to take a step. So rely on him taking a step of faith, trusting him to come through. He won't empower you to sit in your chair, but he will empower you if you take the first step and say, I'm going to start, I'm taking that step. I don't know what words are going to come out, but I'm taking the step. I'm going to try and share with this person and you better show up because if you don't, I'm going to look stupid, right? Have you guys been there this semester? Lots of times, right? So walk in the power of his Holy Spirit as he works in your life, right? Now, along with this, Paul starts telling Timothy about how we are in the presence of God and Jesus Christ. And he's empowered you by his spirit, but he's also empowered you with something else. And Doug touched on this this morning as well. Doug talked about how Jesus was God in human flesh, but he exhibited for us what the spirit-filled life should look like. I think that's a great thing for us to latch on to. Right? As I keep my eyes on Christ, choosing to walk in his power, I can experience the powerful ministry that he illustrated for me. Right? Obviously, I'm not Jesus, so there might be some differences. But people can truly experience his ministry as he ministers through me and his power. To get there, in the power of his spirit, I should follow his leadership example. So here's the second acronym. I'm just going to race through this. You can write it down if you want. But I think this is important. As you think about being a leader, it's vitally, vitally important that you know what a leader is. A leader isn't just somebody that's loud. A leader isn't just somebody that has a title. A leader isn't just someone that is called a leader. What is important is that a leader be leading people, right? Nobody's following, you're not a leader. If you want to be a leader, it's critical that you follow the leader and his leadership example. And I promise you, as you follow his example, he will empower you to be the leader, the great commission leader that he wants you to be. So here is a quick way to remember Jesus' leadership example. Okay, L is lifestyle. He really lived it. He didn't just talk it. How many of you like leaders that say one thing and do something totally different? No credibility, right? Russ talked about this. We don't like that. It's no good. But that happens so often. When Russ talked about getting past our lids, it's critical that as leaders, we really practice what we preach and do what we say. And that requires a lifestyle of following Christ, not just talking about following Christ. E, example. If I'm not being an example for those that I'm leading, I'm failing. So I have to lead by example. A, action. How many of you love following leaders that never do anything? Aren't they? <clears throat> In the Marines, Jared? Did those kind of leaders even exist? No. <laughs> no, right? Because they're not leaders. They wouldn't last long if they did. Exactly, they'd get shot. <laughs> leaders have to be men of action. If 
you want to lead, it's critical that you be a man of action. D, direction. How many of you love following leaders that don't know where they're going? Again, nobody, right? See, we need to know where we're going. Where are you going? What are you doing? Hopefully, you're following Jesus. Being his disciple again. And not just following him with a Christian tag, again, like Doug said, but actually doing what he called you to do. Loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving others as yourself. And fulfilling his great commission. That's quite the vision. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. That's huge. But you know what? It could be accomplished within our lifetimes. Did you know that? Starting with two of us. If we just started multiplying once a year. And then again once a year. And then once a year. And then once a year. And then once a year. This entire world would be reached and discipled within most of our lifetimes. That's an incredible vision. That's the vision he gave us. That's why we're going to focus on it tonight. The church for 2,000 years has been doing everything but spiritual multiplication. Well, the first century they did a lot of it. And in the first century they reached 30% of the world. In the 19th century since then we haven't done it. And guess what? We're still at 30% of the world. It's critical that we start picking up again where they left off in the first century doing spiritual multiplication, right? That's a great vision to follow. And I would encourage you to follow leaders that embrace the vision of the Great Commission. Because here's the important thing. Jesus not only embraced that vision, but he gave it to us. So if I'm following any other vision, I'm following the wrong vision. Okay, E, expertise. As a leader, you should know your stuff. I'm not saying that you should wait till you're perfect to become a leader. But a leader should never stop learning. A leader should always be taking the next step so that they can keep investing in the people that they're leading. Howard Hendricks said, stop growing today and you'll stop teaching tomorrow. It's important that you keep growing as a leader. Our relationships. Jesus led relationally. Have you ever had a leader that you just thought really didn't like you? Really didn't care for you? Really didn't love you? How long did you follow that leader? Not long. Jesus didn't lead that way. He really loved people. When the women would bring little kids to him and his disciples said, he's too busy, what did he say? Let him come to me. They're more important than busyness. Right? He really loved people. He cried when Lazarus died, it says in John 11.35. And he actually could resonate with people. He loved them for who they were. And real leaders will do the same thing. Again, like Gordy talked about this morning, if you're a real leader, you're going to be loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, abiding in Him. Then loving others, the first and second greatest commandments. They're wrapped up right here in leadership. Okay, S, leaders serve. And I hinted at this a minute ago. But if you're not serving, you're not a leader. This is how Jesus demonstrated leadership for us. He said that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And as you serve those around you as a leader, they're going to follow you. The reason I'm on staff here isn't because Russ has more degrees than the next guy. It isn't because Russ is more famous than the next guy. I always say this, and I mean it with all my heart. I know Russ has our best interest in his heart and desires as staff. 
Right, Kyle? I mean, Kyle's seen this for many years. He desires our best interest, and he serves us in so many ways. I mean, just look at the last five years at the ranch. If your leader is serving you, you're going to be willing to follow that person. And if they're not, you won't. So if you want to be a Christ-like leader, serve. Do whatever it takes to serve those around you. Okay, H, habits. Leaders cultivate good habits. We talked about bad habits being a lid. Well, good leaders have good habits. And they're really defined by their habits. You have a quiet time every day, that's a habit. Right? You walk in integrity, that's a habit. You have strong accountability, that's a habit. You share your faith as a lifestyle, that's a habit. You make disciples, that's a habit. I can't even imagine my life not making disciples. Right? Could you, Kyle? I mean, plop Kyle down anywhere in the world, anytime, regardless of the culture of the language, he'll find a way to make disciples, right? Somehow, some way, it's going to happen. Might not happen today, but it will happen, right? Okay, that's a habit. It didn't just happen. Okay, I, and there are two more, I and P. I, leaders take the initiative. Leaders don't just sit around and wait, but they take the initiative. They do what needs to be done. And finally, P, leaders propagate. It's a big word for multiplication. Leaders multiply. Leaders don't do anything that ends with that thing. Everything you do should be multiplicational. That's why I love the Great Commission so much. It's multiplicational. So God has empowered you with His Spirit, and He's empowered you with Christ's example to be the leader that He's called you to be. Now, He's also equipped you to fulfill your ministry. In verses 2 through 5, Paul talks to Timothy, telling him to preach the gospel, telling him to teach sound doctrine in the midst of a generation or a culture that wants nothing to do with sound doctrine, telling him to fulfill his ministry as an evangelist. Now, these are important things for us to learn today and to take away today. The strategy for doing those things, the strategy for accomplishing Christ's Great Commission is found right in Scripture. Jesus gave us the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18-20, saying to make what? Make disciples. Okay, so when we organize big meetings, is that making disciples? Could contribute to making disciples, but fundamentally, a program is not making disciples. It might aid making disciples, but it is not itself making disciples, right? So we need to view things not as program-focused, but as people-focused. We need to be more focused on testimonies than attendance. The modern church in America, I think, has got things way backward. We're so focused on Sunday morning, and there's nothing wrong with Sunday morning unless it becomes everything. We should be focused on making disciples. This is one thing I love about Gordy's pastor, Pastor Randy in Bayfield. He's always making disciples. Right? A bunch of you guys from his church in here today know this because he's discipled you. Or somebody in the church has discipled you. He's focused on discipleship, and that's a great, great thing. Right? 
Okay, so Jesus gave us this commandment to make disciples. In 2 Timothy 2, 2, we're reading from chapter 4, back up two chapters. Paul gives Timothy the same strategy. Paul tells Timothy, he says in, in verse 2, The things which you have heard from me and the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Did you catch what Paul just told Timothy? There is a progression that goes from Paul to Timothy to faithful men to others also. Okay, how many generations of disciples are right there? Four, exactly. Okay, Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others also. We've seen at times on campus up to five generations at Fort Lewis. Have you seen more than that at CMU? Four. Four. I hear stories of people seeing more. Russ, what's the most you've ever seen? Six. Six? That's exciting, right? Where somebody is discipling somebody that is discipling somebody that is discipling somebody. That's exciting. That's really exciting. We've seen it twice in the women at Fort Lewis. And on the men's side, we've been so close to it twice. Um, your brother, Cody, was the fourth generation once. And he was trying to disciple a guy on campus. And it worked a few times. It kind of was like the first glimpse at five guys' generations. And the guy ended up not being very faithful. But at the same time, that was exciting. That was really, really exciting to just get that glimpse of it. Now, this is what we heard about last night from Doug in Acts 6-7. What did it say? The number of disciples what? Multiplied, right? It's this spiritual multiplication. You guys get in the picture? When we make disciples, like Jesus said, we begin to spiritually multiply. When we spiritually, when we spiritually multiply, we multiply. We don't just add. We don't just do a little holy huddle, a little Christian fishbowl we start to multiply and reach new areas for Christ. This is why China is poised to become the largest Christian nation in the world. That's not even legal there, right? That's awesome that, that they're growing so quickly. What are they doing? They're multiplying. They're focused on spiritual multiplication. The small group model in China, from what I understand, is when a group gets to 20 people, they split into 2 of 10. When those get to 20, they split into 2 of 10. And they keep multiplying. But we've lost it here because we're so concerned with a big meeting or a large attendance. So we've sold out on spiritual multiplication in order to satisfy, I think, oftentimes, our own ego. Now, I don't say this lightly. Being in ministry, when you put on an event and hundreds of people come, do you feel good or bad about that, Doug? You feel real good, right? Our ego loves it when lots of people come. And it's not wrong to hope that lots of people would respond to the gospel, right? But if that becomes my focus, just getting more people through the door, I've lost sight of what God has called me to. Right? Now, for each of you in this room, maybe you're not the guy that's going to organize a big meeting where several hundred people are going to come. Maybe you are. But each of you can make disciples. Every single one of you. Even you really young men can make disciples of friends in your sphere of influence. 
You guys can do that, even at your age. You've got friends that need to hear about Christ. You have even Christian friends that could learn from you about what you're, how you're growing. I love spiritual multiplication, and I love discipleship for a few reasons. One, Jesus commanded us to do it. Okay? So if I'm not doing it, I'm disobeying Jesus. What I love about that is I just completed 10 years in full-time ministry, Aaron and I. We were accepted on staff in February of 2004. And in those 10 years, a lot of my expectations weren't met. A lot of hard issues were really hard to get through. There were a lot of times where we really had to persevere and keep our eyes on Christ and just go for it. But you know what I have no regrets about? We did the one thing Jesus told us to do. <laughs> I love being able to hang my hat on that. I wasn't perfect in ministry. Not, it didn't always turn out the way I hoped it would. But I know with everything in me, I was trying to do the one thing that he said, do this before he left to go be with the Father. If you, if you ever want to live a life without regrets, do the main things Jesus told you to do. And you'll always be able to look back with lots of confidence on your past. Things might not have met your expectations, but who cares? You did the one thing Jesus said to do, right? So do these things. I also love discipleship because there's a vicarious component to it, okay? You get to live multiple lives. You get to live a double life or triple life or quadruple life. When I came to college, I was a chemistry major because I wanted to become a missionary doctor, okay? That didn't pan out. God changed that desire in college. But I am not a missionary doctor, as you can tell. I also was a sponsored snowboarder, and I had these illusions of being really big in the extreme sports world and making a difference for Christ. That didn't pan out, okay? Before that, I wanted to be an artist. I loved art, and I come from family with a lot of artists. Dave's and my mom is an artist, and our grandmother's an artist, and we have lots of artists, and I remember Dave growing up, I'd spend hours and hours and hours and hours and day after day drawing. I loved art, okay? Well, I'm not an artist today. But you know what? I'm discipling a guy right now that is a world-class mountain biker, Zach Graveson. Some of you know him. This guy is like just crushing it. He has all these sponsors and our discipleship appointments. This is how some of them go. I got a new sponsor. Sweet. A big sponsor. Sweet. They want me to do a bio on their team website. Sweet. How can I share Christ in my bio? And we sit down and brainstorm through with the number of words that they allow him how to convey his relationship with Christ to the people that might be on that team's website. Don't you love the fact that there's somebody out there doing that? Don't you love the fact that through discipleship, a dream that you only have one life and couldn't do, somebody that you invest in can? I love that, right? Okay, I'm not a medical missionary, but a guy that came to Christ in our ministry and that I got to disciple for a couple years is in med school right now to become a medical missionary, Andrew, right? I'm not an artist right now, but I've had the chance the last couple years to invest my life in Chad, who is an incredible artist and who's using his art to make a difference for Christ. I just look at what happens when you do discipleship. You get to multiply far more than you could ever do with your own life. It's really quite exciting. Look at guys like Justin Wynn, who's in here, taking the torch on apologetics. <laughs> That's so awesome. I'm still doing some apologetics. But I, I'm not in Justin's class taking a stand, and I'm not in Dougal's class taking a stand, but you are. Praise God you're there. 
I love this vicarious component to discipleship. And as you start doing it, you're going to see that too. And you start to feel like God's given you innumerable lives to fulfill his great commission with. It's kind of cool. Not that you're those other people. I don't want to take it too far. But what you invest in these other people allows you to accomplish dreams that you never could with just one life, right? It allows you to invest in people that are going to do those things. Right? I'm fine with not being an extreme sports guy right now. I have three little kids that I love, but I'm sure glad Zach's rocking that world for Jesus, right? Okay, so that's some of why I love the Great Commission. Now, the IMPACT acronym, this is the funnel diagram, and I'm going to do it kind of quick because I don't want to keep you all night. But you have to get this, because if you don't, our snipers will shoot you. Well, not really. Our snipers are pretty bad shots. <clears throat> What's that? The enemy snipers might. Yeah, the enemy. That's a good, good observation. The enemy snipers might. Okay, I, and we've reviewed this briefly, but I want to hit it again. I, and this is how the funnel diagram works. I'm going to move this over here, guys. I is intercession. Too often we try to do ministry in our own power. And it doesn't go very far. And we always say this and it doesn't go very far. And we try to cultivate a heart for prayer and it doesn't go very far. I really want God to change my heart for prayer. And there have been times in my life where I was praying every day for every student in our ministry. And there are other times where golly, I'm struggling to pray for our staff, you know? And I just want to get to the point where regardless of whatever else is happening, I'm going to be praying, right? Don't you want to get there? Until we get there, we're doing things in the power of the flesh, like Doug mentioned last night. The funnel has a lid put there by your enemy that needs to be removed in prayer. So you begin Great Commission ministry in prayer. And... Jesus himself said this in Matthew 9, 37. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. So what? Pray that his father would send laborers into the harvest. Begin with prayer, guys. Okay, now once you've begun with prayer, it's critical that you M, meet new people. You can do some types of ministry without actually meeting new people. I do a radio show every week, an apologetics radio show. We share the gospel clearly every week. You know how many people have contacted me and said, because of your show, I put my trust in Christ? Zero. I run into people a lot. They'll say, oh, I recognize your voice from the radio. I listen every week and things like that. That's really cool. And I hope that they're being reached. And Malcolm and the guys were witnessing to a guy once. Remember the rock climber guy? who had been listening to the radio show and God had been really working on his heart through it. That's really cool. But it's not, I mean, it might be effective in reaching masses, but it's not real, authentic ministry. It's a component. It's something. I'm glad it's there. But if I had to give that up or discipleship and evangelism up personally, that, that goes, not evangelism and discipleship personally. When you meet new people, you actually meet real living human beings that you can really minister to. And it expands your network of people. So meet new people. We always put that in the top. And we say that it's a funnel because it goes from large numbers up here to what? 
small. Okay, it goes from low commitment up here to what? High commitment down here. Okay? So you meet new people, and then P, you preach the gospel. What Paul tells Timothy in tonight's passage. Now remember, success in evangelism, Bill Bright said, is taking the initiative and the power of the Holy Spirit, then trusting the results to God. In our application time tonight, this is what we're going to do instead of small groups. We're going to work through a way for you to share your faith, and you're going to actually do it right here tonight. It'll be very exciting. But if we're not sharing the gospel, we're failing to make disciples, because before you can disciple someone, they should come to Christ, right? Okay, preach the gospel. A, active discipleship. Now, here's what happens. When you share the gospel, you're going to have four responses. One, not interested. What do you do with those guys? Yeah, exactly. You keep praying for them. Probably don't invest a ton of time, but you can keep praying for them. Keep relating to them. Two, already Christian. When I met Justin Wynn on campus, he was already a Christian. So what did I say? Well, have a good time at college. <laughs> no, I said, let me get your number. Let's hang out sometime. Right? Three, you might have somebody that is green fruit, Russ would say. I'm going to put interested. And four, you might have somebody that makes a decision. Malcolm went out sharing last year with one of our students, and they led somebody to Christ Jr. And you guys have begun doing some discipleship with them and got to do some more this year. I ran into him at this at Ricky's uh, kind of like mock practice football game a couple weeks ago. It was really cool. I didn't, know, I didn't even know him. I just walked up and asked a question. I said, hey, what's your name? He's like, Junior. And we got to talk a little bit. It was really exciting. I said, you know Malcolm? He's like, yeah, I know Malcolm. It was really cool. But you could have any of those three things happen. Now, when those happen, you're going to disciple those people, right? <clears throat> All right. Now, you start doing one-on-one -on -one discipleship. How many of you think easy peasy, not scared at all of one-on-one -on -one discipleship? Not really, right? Well, that's why you need to get this workbook or come to the workshop and learn how to do discipleship, because you can do it. And Christ has commanded you to do it. So it behooves you to learn how to do it. And you have everything you need. He already told you that. You just need a little bit of training to learn how to do discipleship. All right. But it also involves small groups small group discipleship. So we talk about Jesus groups. I'm going to put JG. This is where you go through the very basics of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. People kind of lay a foundation there of Christ because we can't lay any foundation other than Christ, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3. Right? He's the foundation. After Jesus groups, we do growth groups. All you students that wondered why we started out the semester with that Jesus Bible study, that's why we want to lay a foundation of Jesus, right first and foremost. Okay, next, growth groups. Justin led a growth group this semester. Right, some of you other students have led growth groups. This is where you're teaching people the basics 
of walking with God. You can do this with anybody. You could do it in your neighborhood. You could do it in your workplace. You could do it at your church. Go talk to your pastor and say, Pastor, I'd love to lead a Bible study. How many pastors are going to turn you down? <laughs> we don't go for that kind of thing. <laughs> we don't like Bible studies. Okay, but there's real discipleship that happens in Bible studies. Hopefully, as you're leading that Bible study, you're discipling the guys in your Bible study. Helping them take the steps that they need to take to grow. And then eventually, that growth group turns into what we call an action group. Okay? And an action group is a group of people that have been discipled, they've been through a Bible study, they've seen how to do a Bible study. Now, what do you think? They're ready to lead a Bible study. So they do what? They multiply. And you know what happens when you lead a Bible study? Chris, is it easy? Is it easy to lead a Bible study? Not all the time. It's the most generous answer I've ever heard. Chris has persevered through so many hard Bible studies. And I am so thankful for that, Chris. Keep, keep persevering. This summer he's going to be leading another one. But as you persevere, what happens to you as a leader? See, this is where you put yourself on the line. People are coming, and I better have something. And if I don't, I'm going to look foolish. Right? So I put something together, trusting God to speak through me. And you know what? Do your insecurities ever come up when you lead a Bible study? Do they like me? Do they think I'm stupid? Do they think I have a bad voice? Do they think I'm ugly? They all come up. And you know what? You grow through them. When you start leading Bible studies, you start really growing as a Christian. Is that right, Russ? Is that a linchpin in somebody's growth? I think all this is. Evangelism surely is. But when you start leading Bible studies, you're you're putting yourself out there trusting God to work through you. And he really does, and he really changes you. Okay? And real multiplication happens. We talk about all the reasons for a Bible study, but you really start to saturate an area for Christ. You really start to see good discipleship. You really start to see real camaraderie, and it's incredible, and you grow as a leader. Okay, so that's the active discipleship part of this. Now, what happens when we do all this, but without genuine, selfless love? It's worth anything? No. Okay, so that's why we have to put this whole thing in what? We call the context... Of agape love. And agape, again, is just the Greek word. One of the Greek words for love, but it's the Greek word for selfless love. Putting somebody else above yourself. When you are involved in a ministry that is epitomized by agape love, you don't want to go anywhere else. In fact, that can become a problem almost, because people just love being around people that love them. So they have a hard time getting out to non-Christians. So, take that love to others, don't just sit there and Receive it and love it. I mean, do a little bit of both. Okay, that's C in the, ac- in the acronym, context of love. Okay, final letter in the acronym is T. Okay, this is tools. How many of you are glad that there's a lodge here that we can sit in and sleep in and eat in and play games in? Well, it's a tool. It's all it is. Sure, if you ask Russ what's better, discipleship or the lodge, he'd burn this place down in a heartbeat. Right? (laughs) It's nothing but a tool. It's a good tool. Thank God we have this tool, but this is not our ministry. If we lose this lodge, guess what? We're going to keep doing 
the Great Commission, right? We're not going to stop on that. Nothing can stop you from doing that. But take the tools God has given you. Take your fly fishing. Take your knee hockey. (laughs) Take your lodge, right? Take your iPhone. That's a tool, right? Take your climbing gear. You name it. You guys have so many tools. You live in the richest nation in the world. Take your tools and use them for Christ. They supplement this process, right? A Sunday morning service is a tool. It's not everything, but it is one heck of a good tool. You know what happens Sunday mornings? People grow in their knowledge of the Lord and His Word. They experience fellowship with other believers. They get encouragement from people that have been through similar situations. A lot of good comes out of it. It's not everything, but like I said, it's something. It's a really good tool. People might really experience active discipleship there. They might really experience agape love. They might really hear the gospel. Probably some of you put your faith in Christ at a church service, right? They might really do all this stuff there. It's a good tool that aids this process. But you can do this process at work. You can do it with your family. You can do it anywhere. So the process, guys, he has equipped you with a strategy. It all comes from his word. We should Pray, intercession, M, meet new people, P, preach the gospel. When you talk about meeting new people and preaching the gospel too, our culture has become so focused on friendship evangelism, i got to be friends first before I share my faith. Do you know what the number one reason people don't come to Christ is? Hypocritical Christians that they've seen. So friendship evangelism isn't working. People are seeing their Christian friends, and most often they don't like what they're seeing. Right? Additionally, I can't find an example of friendship evangelism in all of Scripture. I'm not saying not to do it. You should share with your friends. But what we see in Scripture is Jesus walking up to Zacchaeus and saying, I'm coming to your house tonight. (laughs) Right? We see, point blank, I'm meeting somebody new and I'm sharing the gospel with them. Right? So preach the gospel. A, active discipleship. C, a context of agape, selfless love. T, use tools to make the process work. Is that a good process? Okay, now we've done it in other countries. Russ did it in Poland. We've done it in Romania. You've seen it done in Africa, I think. Africa, Asia. Papua New Guinea. Sure happens at Durango and in Grand Junction and in Denver. It can happen in any time period. You could do this in the 1st century or the 21st century. It always works no matter where you're at. So I would really commit yourself, if I were you, to learning how to do this process. Now again, this training that we're doing, we're going to have an entire chapter on how to meet new people. We're going to have three chapters on how to preach the gospel. Practical, easy tools. We're going to have two chapters on -on one-on-one discipleship, two chapters on how to lead a Bible study. It'll give you some of the best training in those areas you've ever seen. We'll have a chapter on how to authentically love people, a chapter on how to brainstorm through everything in your entire life and how to see it as a tool for God. It'll give you everything that you need to actually do this process. And I hope that you'll commit to that process. Now, in closing, guys, God will reward you. In verses 6 through 8, Paul paints the picture for Timothy of this reward that's laid up for him because he has fought the good fight He's finished the race and he's kept the faith. And I can't stress this enough. 
That day is coming quick. I'm 35 turning 36 this summer. It is mind-boggling to me. This fall, I'm going to be twice the age of freshmen. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> twice the age of incoming freshmen. I, it's crazy. I feel like I was a freshman yesterday. Now I'm twice the age of freshmen. It's bizarre, guys. You're... <laughs> Four times the incoming freshman. <laughs> All I can tell you guys is your life, even if you're young, and people would tell me this when I was young, and I said, yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true, but I didn't really see it. Your life is like a vapor. If you don't start doing this stuff today, it's not going to happen. Before you know it, you're 65 and you haven't done it at all. Right? So I'm asking you tonight to commit to this, to say, I know that day is coming when I'll stand before my Savior and I desperately want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to waste another day doing my own thing. But wherever God has me in life, I want to do this process. I want to make disciples. I want to share my faith. I love my brother sharing his faith in construction sites because there are definitely non-Christians at construction sites, right? <laughs> but here he is debating apologetics with construction workers reading Ehrman. I couldn't believe that there was a construction worker reading that guy. I was surprised by that. Taking another guy to church last week, right? You guys, wherever you're at, you can do this process, right? Dave tells me this guy just took to church. Wants to come back because he thinks the girls are cute. <laughs> so we had this discussion. Should you use that for God's glory or should you tell the guy to stay away <laughs> from the Christian girls? <laughs> All I'm saying, guys, is wherever you're at, you can do this process and you should do this process because Jesus commanded you to. And you'll be experiencing the abundant life he promised if you do this and you won't experience that if you don't do this. I promise you that. Alright, so here's the application that I want to challenge you with. Tonight we're going to do an evangelism self-test, and then you're going to put together your personal testimony. At least you'll get a start on it, because we'll probably have about a half hour of application before root beer floats and other snacks. But if you do this tonight, you're going to be further down this road than 90 plus percent of Christians. It'll be really good. Any of you guys share your faith this, this year? Fletch in class, his whole class is talking about the documentary hypothesis, which is this liberal criticism of the Old Testament's authorship. And I said, Fletch, take a risk and share this material with your professor. And I gave him cutting-edge scholarship from 2013 that refutes the documentary hypothesis. Okay, when did his professor do his PhD? Probably about 30, 40 years ago. Well, I have some outdated information that he's teaching. So Fletch took a risk, right? Yeah. Like his second or third week on campus. <laughs> this is so exciting. Most people are scared out of their mind at that point. So he took a risk, and what did the professor do? Photocopied it all, gave it to all the students, and apologized, and <laughs> so, wow. Aren't you glad Fletch took a risk? Yeah. I sure am. Way to go, Fletch. You guys, if you'll just get a few tools, whether it's a notebook or your testimony or whatever, if you just get a few tools, you can use them. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. So in conclusion, guys, do you think you guys can follow this simple funnel diagram? 
You think you can remember this impact acronym, intercession, meet new people, preach the gospel, active discipleship, context of love, tools? I hope you embrace this, commit to this, keep your eyes on Jesus, trusting him to empower you to do this by his spirit, and then take a step of faith and do this. And I promise you, God will use you in great ways. You guys, Aaron and I just finished a seminary program at the biggest Christian university in the world, Liberty. And I can promise you, we took class after class on discipleship and this and that and leadership and all this. And they give you thousands of pages to read. And I'm not saying it's bad. Some of it's really good. But none of it prepares you to obey Christ's Great Commission command as much as this simple diagram. I mean, seriously, if they would just say, we're going to train everybody to do this simple diagram and then cut them loose, more would be done for God than a thousand books with a thousand pages each. Learn this program. Learn this process, and you'll be able to fulfill the Great Commission. Gosh, in Romania, you were there. We were drawing this on a guy's back as the paper was on his back. Remember that? We had so many people in the room. People were, like, outside the room, the students that we were training. We had to, like, take butcher paper to the guy's back as he stood there as the whiteboard so we could draw the funnel diagram on him. Remember that? I have a picture of it somewhere. Well, I went and visited those students two years later, and you know what? They're still doing it. Students, your age, they're still doing it on their campus. They, they, they had launched a Hungarian ministry. We're reaching all these Hungarians. Others had graduated. This one girl graduated from medical school that we trained, and I talked to a lady that said this, this young lady was discipling her still. She was a lady that my brother led to Christ. I walked through the door, and she goes, I know you. If it wasn't for your brother, I would not be a Christian. And she said that she was still being discipled two years later by this now doctor. And uh, I'm just telling you guys, you can do this, you can teach others to do it, and it will keep on working. All right, so let's pray, give it to God. God, we thank you so much for making things simple. I pray that we would commit to this process in the power of your Holy Spirit and make disciples until the day that we stand before you and the race is finished, God. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.